eternal, righteous, and invisible Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of life. We thank you for giving us the basic necessities to sustain our lives. And we are also thankful, especially, for your word which you send to us to bring us up into the image of Jesus. This moment, Lord, as we fellowship with you, we pray that you will grant to us the gift of your Holy Spirit and you will grant us wisdom and understanding that we may rightly divide the word of truth. Please, Lord, put your words in my mouth. Consecrate me to your service. I pray, Father, that your words shall give us the grace to be transformed into the image of Jesus and that at the end we shall all be partakers of your kingdom. In Jesus' name of prayer. Amen. Conflict and Courage, September 28 In prison for Christ's sake. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 John the Baptist had been first in heralding Christ's kingdom, and he was also first in suffering. He was now shut in by the walls of a dungeon cell. As week after week passed, bringing no change, despondency and doubt crept over him. His disciples did not forsake him, but they questioned why if this new teacher was the Messiah, he did nothing to effect John's release. Like the Savior's disciples, John the Baptist did not understand the nature of Christ's kingdom. He expected Jesus to take the throne of David, and as time passed and the Savior made no claim to kingly authority, John became perplexed and troubled. There were hours when the whisperings of demons tortured his spirit, and the shadow of a terrible fear crept over him. Could it be that the long-hoped-for deliverer had not yet appeared? But the Baptist did not surrender his faith in Christ. He determined to send a message of inquiry to Jesus. This he entrusted to two of his disciples. The disciples came to Jesus with their message. Are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? The Savior did not at once answer the disciples' question. As they stood wondering at his silence, the sick and afflicted were coming to him to be healed. While he healed their diseases, he taught the people. Thus the day wore away. The disciples of John seeing and hearing all. At last Jesus called them to him and bade them go and tell John what they had witnessed. 
The evidence of his divinity was seen in its adaptation to the needs of suffering humanity. The disciples bore the message and it was enough. The works of Christ not only declared him to be the Messiah but showed in what manner his kingdom was to be established. Understanding more clearly now the nature of Christ's mission, he, John, yielded himself to God for life or for death, as should best serve the interests of the cause he loved. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is In Prison for Christ's Sake. John was locked up in prison and that's a great leap from where we were yesterday and we left off with seeing how John said he must decrease and Christ must increase and today we see him in prison. So what happened? How did John get into prison? It was through a man called Herod and I would like to just review who this Herod is and the setting of the, the, the situation that caused John to be in prison. We've already talked about this before, but repetition deepens impression, so I would go through it again. During the reign of the Hasmoneans in Judah, that is, those that are known as the Maccabeans, as a faction of the Hasidims, mostly consisting of Pharisees and some were Sadducees. I just want to remind us, the Hasidim represent those who were the pious ones that refused to be Hellenized by the Greeks. They had someone among them called Mattathias. His son became was Judas and he called himself Maccabees, but their real son name was Hashmon. Mattathias Hashmon, Judas Hashmon, but because Judas took the name Maccabees, then they started to call them the Maccabeans, but they're actually called the Hasmoneans. So uh, you hear me interchange it sometimes, call them the Hasmoneans or the Maccabeans. Now among these Hasmoneans and Maccabeans, they later, some of them in the family were Pharisees and some were Sadducees. The Pharisees in that family, they were strictly Pharisees at first, but later on they divided. Some now became Sadducees. That's Sadducees were the ones who uh, were adopting the Greek custom, that they were being Hellenized. So, during the days of the Hasmoneans, the Jews under the rulership of John Hyconus had committed a cruel act, taking away the religious freedom of the Edomites and the Samaritans that lived just close to them. They actually converted them to Jews by force, for they told them to leave their land or worship Jehovah only, and they forced them to circumcise themselves. Under the rulership of Alexander Janus, that's after John Hyconus, under the rulership of Alexander Janus, who had elevated himself to the position of king of the Jews. A governor was installed to rule over the Edomians, also known as the Edomites. The man installed by Alexander Janus was a man called Antipas. Antipas handed over to his son Antipater in AD 63, when Pompey, the commander of the forces of Rome, and next Judah. He ended the rulership of the Hashmonians and made Antipater the prime minister of Judah 
Antipater being the son of Antipas. So Antipater was made the prime minister of Judah when the Romans took over uh, Palestine. When Julius Caesar came into power, though he restored the Hasmoneans into the position of both high priest and uh, ethnarch of Judah, he made this same Antipater, remember, an Edomite. He still made him the procurator of Judah with greater power than that of John Hyconos II, the Hasmonean ruler at that time. Now, Antipater made his own son, Herod, to be the ruler of Galilee and his other son, Pharaoh, to be the ruler of Jerusalem. But the faction of the Jews, specifically the brother of Hyconos, John Hy- of Hyconos II, his name was Antigonus. He was a Sadducee that revolted against Herod and generally against Antipater, his children. His brother murdered himself because he was captured thus far as, but Herod, who was the king of Galilee at the time, the ruler of Galilee at the time, uh, fled to Rome. Now, this would be the first time that Rome would fight the Jews. They didn't like what they heard in Rome. So they made Herod the king of Judea, and his, because his brother was now dead. Then they made Herod to go and fight against the Jews. Basically, it was a fight between the, uh, Herod and mostly the Sadducee faction of the Jews, not the Pharisee faction. Even though he had the help of the Roman army, this fight would last for three long years before Herod was finally able to subdue the Sadducees led by Antigonus who revolted against him. Herod still had other Hasmoneans to contend with, which is the family of Hyganus, whose daughter he had married. This is the man known as Herod the Great. In 36 BC, even though he had married Hyganus' uh, granddaughter, he was afraid of a revolt from the Hasmoneans. So he killed the high priest who is Aristobulus III, the son of John Hyconus II, who was well favored and endeared all over the Jewish kingdom. He then killed John Hyconus II himself in 30 BC. The next year, in 29 BC, he will eventually kill the granddaughter of Hyconus II, who is called Miriam, his own wife. That is, Carol's own wife. He killed her. And eventually, by 7 BC, he killed the his own two sons from the Hasmonean wife that his wife, that Mariam, gave birth to. This marked the end of the Maccabeans or the Hasmoneans in Judah. This matter of ending the reign of the Hasmoneans was always a cause of grief to the Jews, especially to the Pharisees. They hated Herod with a deep-seated passion and Herod always lived in fear of them. This is why when the wise men from the east came to him, telling him of a king that was born, he plotted to kill the baby. When the wise men didn't tell him the whereabouts of the baby, he killed all the babies in Bethlehem from the age of two and downwards. It was this same Herod the Great that built a magnificent temple to appease the Jews so they would like him, but the Jews still hated him greatly. He eventually died in 4 BC and left his sons to be in charge of Judah. One of his sons, called Philip, married a certain Herodias. Now, Philip was the son born to Herod from another Miriam who was the daughter of a Jewish priest. So he married another Jewish priest's 
uh, daughter, Miriam, and she gave it to this man called Philip. Herodias was also a daughter of Herod with a Jewish blood because she was the daughter of Aristobulus, one of the Hasmonean sons of Herod, which he got from Miriam, the granddaughter of Hyrcanus II. Herodias' marriage to her part Jewish brother, Herod Philip, will prove to be a failure as she would get married to another of her half-brothers called Herod Antipas. This Herod Antipas was the tetrarch of Galilee in the days of John the Baptist. He committed this grave act of taking his own brother, Philip's wife, and Herodias herself was accomplice to the act. So, under the impression of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist rose up and rebuked the evil done by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas respected and revered John the Baptist, seeing that he was not like the Pharisees and Sadducees who were power-hungry people, but was calling people to repentance. But Herodias hated John the Baptist and was thirsty for his blood, but didn't know how to go about it. Herod one day sent soldiers to the wilderness where John the Baptist was in seclusion and where he had been preaching to the people and then they took him and locked him up in prison. As we read the account in the Bible, it says in the book of Mark chapter 6 verse 17 to 20, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. In the book of Matthew 14 verse 5, it says, And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. You see, this goes to show us how much John was loved among the people and how much influence he wielded. So powerful was his ministry among the people that Herod feared that killing him would have sparked a revolt. And not just that, Herod himself, according to Mark chapter 6 verse 20, Herod himself knew that John was a just man and an holy man and not just that, he himself, Herod, observed John. And when he heard John and the things he said, he used to be glad with the kind of messages that John the Baptist was preaching. So you see, the ministry of John the Baptist really touched the hearts of the whole of Judah. But John, in his just because Herod liked his preaching doesn't mean that he wouldn't rebuke Herod for what he did. He did rebuke the king, Herod. Now, how old was John at this time? This was the same about AD 27 to 28. He was about 31 years at most, a young man in his prime. Age was not a barrier to John. God had called him to do a work that one could say was a manifest disrespect of his elders and of those in authority. And the messenger, but the messenger of God must speak what God asked him to speak. He rebuked Herod, a king and a man of great power and authority. This rebuke was not without cause. The scene of Herod and Herodias was an open scene. It was held out in the open for all to see. This open scene demanded an open rebuke. 
John the Baptist did not rebuke Herod because he was feeding off on another on another man's errors as many are inclined to do today. He didn't do it to shame Herod. He did it in love for the people and love for both Herod and Herodias. He wanted to see them saved and wanted their bad influence on the people to lose effect, so he spoke. This was Christ-likeness in John. It is frequently the case that the kind, gentle, amiable demeanor of people is usually termed Christ-likeness. But we must be balanced. There is also need for the firm, courageous and daring grace of Christ in us today. This was the character that John possessed that led him not to remain silent in the face of Herod and Herodias' bad example. This is the same spirit of Moses that will not suffer sin on the people, that will rather correct them even in the severest way possible to save their soul from sin and death. It is our duty to properly weigh the best course of action to take that will work out the conversion of sinners regardless of the consequences of such a course. John understood that rebuking Herod was the best course to take for the sake of Herod, Herodias and the people, hence he did the needful and was imprisoned for it. Frequently, that which we call kindness, love and gentleness is actually cowardice. That kindness, like Aaron's kindness, that will suffer sin upon our neighbor because we want to preserve a good relationship with them to the detriment of the truth is not kindness but is cruelty. Reading from The Faith I Live By, page 290, paragraph 4 and downward, we are told, our message must be as direct as was that of John. He rebuked kings for their iniquity, notwithstanding the peril his life was in. He never allowed truth to languish on his lips. In this time of well-nigh universal apostasy, God calls upon his messengers to proclaim his law in the spirit and power of Elijah. As John the Baptist, in preparing a people for Christ's advent, calls their attention to the Ten Commandments, so we are to give no uncertain sound the message, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. With the earnestness that characterized Elijah the prophet and John the Baptist, we are to strive to prepare the way for Christ's second advent. The hour of God's judgment has come, and upon the members of his church on earth rests the solemn responsibility of giving warning to those who are standing, as it were, on the very brink of eternal ruin. All can do something in the work. None will be pronounced guiltless before God unless they have worked earnestly and unselfishly for the salvation of souls. Your duty cannot be shifted upon another. No one but yourself can do your work. If you withhold your light, someone must be left in darkness through your neglect. The Lord has a place for everyone in his great plan. End of quote. Amen. Did you get that part that said that as John the Baptist, in preparing a people for Christ's first advent, called their attention to the Ten Commandments, so we are to do the same thing? That was basically what John the Baptist was doing, calling the attention of the people to the Ten Commandments. That is the same work that we are to be doing now. That is what is called present truth. You ever heard the term present truth just flying around and you are wondering, what is this present truth? There's no big deal in it. It is Revelation 14 verse 12. Here are the people that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That is present truth. 
like the message of John the Baptist calling people to repentance, telling them to look at the law of the Lord and to fashion their characters and their lives in accordance with it. As John the Baptist's message was direct, that is how our message is to be direct. As he rebuked kings for their iniquity, notwithstanding the peril of his life, we also are not to allow the truth to languish on our lips. So now that John was imprisoned, there was high expectations from the Jews, especially John's disciples. Do you remember Antigonus? Antigonus the Sadducee who fought against Herod the Great for three years was once imprisoned also with his brothers and his father. They escaped from prison before they were able to kill Pharaoh the brother of Herod. Actually, they didn't kill Pharaoh, but when they captured him, he killed himself. That man is the brother of Herod the Great, who was the ruler of Jerusalem and succeeded in making Herod the Great. They succeeded in making Herod the Great to flee from Galilee to Rome at the time. The memory of this great feat of King Antigonus was still fresh in the mind of the Jews, and they expected that since John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus as that Messiah, he would Jesus would do the same thing like Antigonus. But Jesus was not this kind of person. He was not even speaking about John or about Herod who imprisoned John the Baptist. He did not even open his mouth to rebuke Herod at all. He was preaching non-violence, no resistance of evil, love and forbearance under wrong. This made the people to doubt whether he was the Messiah because they were used to Antigonus, John Hycanus, and Judas Maccabee, Simon and his brother Jonathan, those people were fighters. They were expecting that that's the kind of Messiah that was going to come. And even the way John the Baptist was in rebuking kings, it looked like he's that kind of person who would start a revolt and fight. But Jesus was gentle. He didn't even open his mouth one day to speak about Herod's imprisonment of John. And it was somehow, and they'd be wondering, why is Jesus like this? Why is there no sympathy, no solidarity at all? And they're expecting it that Jesus would release John. And the disciples of John came to ask John a question. You see, like the Savior's disciples like we read, John the Baptist himself did not understand the nature of Christ's kingdom. He expected Jesus to take the throne of David. And as time passed and the Savior made no claim to kingly authority, John became perplexed and troubled. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 215, Paragraph 2 down to paragraph 4, we are told in his mission, the Baptist had stood as a fearless reprover of iniquity, both in high places and in low. He had dared to face King Herod with the plain rebuke of sin. He had not counted his life there unto himself that he might fulfill his appointed work. And now, from his dungeon, he watched for the lion of the tribe of Judah to cast down the pride of the oppressor and to deliver the poor and him that cried. But Jesus seemed to content himself with gathering disciples about him and healing and teaching the people. He was eating at the tables of the publicans, while every day the Roman yoke rested more heavily upon Israel, while King Herod and his vile paramour worked their will, and the cries of the poor and suffering went up to heaven. To the desert prophet, all these seemed a mystery beyond his fathoming. There were hours when the whisperings of demons tortured his spirit and the shadow of terrible fear crept over him. Could it be that the long-hoped-for deliverer had not yet appeared? 
Then what meant the message that he himself had been impelled to bear? John had been bitterly disappointed in the result of his mission. He had expected that the message from God would have the same effect as when the law was read in the days of Josiah and Ezra, that there would follow a deep-seated work of repentance and returning unto the Lord. For the success of this mission, his whole life had been sacrificed. Had it been in vain, John was troubled to see that true love for him, his own disciples were cherishing unbelief in, in regard to Jesus. Had his work for them been fruitless? Had he been unfaithful in his mission that was now cut from labor? If the promised deliverer had appeared and John had been found true to his calling, would not Jesus now overthrow the oppressor's power and set free his herald? But the Baptist did not surrender his faith in Christ. The memory of the voice from heaven and the descending dove the spotless purity of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit that had rested upon John as he came into the Savior's presence and the testimony of the prophetic scriptures all witnessed that Jesus of Nazareth was the pointed one. John would not discuss his doubts and anxieties with his companions. He determined to send a message of inquiry to Jesus. This he entrusted to two of his disciples. So, End of quote. Reading now from Luke chapter 7 to see the account we've already seen. It says, When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto the asking, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now, this question of John was a sign of distrust and doubt. Reading Desire of Ages, page 216, paragraph 6, it says, How short the time since John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus and proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. John chapter 1 verse 29 and 27. And now the question, Art thou he that should come? It was keenly bitter and disappointing to human nature. If John, the faithful forerunner, failed to discern Christ's mission, what could be expected from the self-seeking multitude? End of quote. It says how Jesus responded, In that hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering unto them, said, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, reading from Desire of Ages, page 217, paragraph 2, it says, The disciples bore the message, and it was enough. John recalled the prophecy concerning the Messiah. The Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2 The works of Christ not only declared him to be the Messiah, but showed in what manner his kingdom was to be established. To John was opened the same truth that had come to Elijah in the desert when a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire 
God spoke to the prophet by a still small voice. First Kings chapter 19 verse 11 and 12. So Jesus was to do his work, not with a clash of arms and the overturning of thrones and kingdoms, but through speaking to the hearts of men by a life of mercy and self-sacrifice. End of quote. So here it is that John the Baptist, instead of seeing Jesus in the earthquake, like coming to deliver him from prison and all, or in the fire and the thunderings, he saw Jesus. Jesus sent him a simple message with a still small voice and the still small voice also represented the work of healing that he was doing the deaf would hear the dead were being raised in the sight of john's disciples the poor was having the gospel preached to them lepers were cleansed the lame was walking the blind was seen the poor was having the gospel preached to them the two disciples of of john witnessed all of this they had never seen anything of the like and when they went to to meet john that day the story they gave john calmed his troubled soul and john would have marveled wow the dead were raised not just jesus did not say one dead person was raised here tells us the extensive nature of the work that jesus was doing jesus told the disciples the dead are raised that tells us truly that when john said that if everything that jesus did was written down in books that the books would not be enough to contain it for jesus who have said to these disciples the dead are raised that means that day he must have raised someone and then we also hear about the deaf hearing the lepers being cleansed the amount of miracles and healings that jesus did in that day and the hours that it took him the disciples saw enough and john when he heard it it was enough for him. He then understood that he was mistaken in what he expected the Messiah to be. He was confused by the things that were happening around him in seeing those people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and thinking that those that's the kind of way that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. But now he remembered Isaiah 61 and said, oh, now I get it. The Messiah is not to come with thunderings and earthquakes. He is the one that is talked about in Isaiah 61 that said the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor to let the captives go free now he understood but we have a lesson to learn from this experience of John the Baptist how often true misapplication of scripture or a presumptuous desire we look forward to things that God has not promised us we then lose faith in God because that which we expected of him we did not receive. This tells us the need for rightly dividing the word of truth and also having the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus is not presumption. It holds on to real promises made by God and not desires and suppositions or popular tales and traditions. As the Jews looked forward to a Messiah that was not promised and still do till today, so do many people today, Christians, look forward to a Messiah that has not been promised today. Many think that fellowship with God means an easygoing life or freedom from poverty, suffering, persecution and hardship. When they come to Christ and still see these things even multiplied in their life, they lose faith in God and begin to question, Are thou he that should come? Or should we expect another? Christ is grieved when a people whom he gave his life for are unwilling to suffer persecution for his sake. Hardship, poverty and even death for Christ's sake is something that we can expect. 
He died for us and expects that we should be willing to die if need be for his sake. But more importantly, we see the importance, we see the need of a right interpretation of scripture, which is the importance of faith. Faith comes not by following our fond and cherished opinions and desires, but by following the word of God. If we do not have the word of God for our expectation and keep urging our request on God, we may eventually find ourselves doubting his word and especially doubting his love, wisdom and his existence. But this is because we have wrongly interpreted the word of God and followed tradition or followed our desires or followed our feelings. The reason why John the Baptist's disciples and also John himself were inclined to doubt whether Jesus was the Messiah was just this simple matter of misinterpretation of scripture, the simple issue of expecting something that was not promised to them. And we can be in that same situation today, expecting something that Jesus has not promised to us or not understanding the real reason why Jesus came to this earth. Matthew 1 verse 21 tells us, For you she shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That is the reason for Jesus' ministry, because sin is the problem of the world and he came to solve that problem. He didn't come to ensure that you will have a husband or a wife. He didn't come to ensure that you must be rich or wealthy. He didn't come to ensure that there may be no need for you to get sick or have an accident or have unfortunate events happen to us. He himself had an unfortunate event happen to him, worse than what many have ever experienced, far more terrible. So, to think that he came to deliver us from that as a promise that he must do that, no, we are mistaken. Many today have lost their faith in Jesus because they expected him to deliver them from bondage of poverty, from the bondage of the prison, from the bondage of ill health. And because they didn't get that, they just they didn't stop at doubting. They start to wonder, does God really exist? Where was he when this and that happened? Where was he when this happened to me or that happened to me? My brothers and sisters, like our past, the passage, uh, our, our reading for today, our key text tells us, it is given to us not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for him. Let us understand more clearly the mission of Jesus and rejoice in it. As we read in Conflict, Conflict and Courage, page 277, paragraph 6, it says, Understanding more clearly now the nature of Christ's mission, he, John, yielded himself to God for life or for death, as should best serve the interest of the cause he loved. Amen. Jesus' mission is to restore his image in us. And there are various means by which this is achieved. Imprisonment is one of the ways. But let us see the deliverance from bondage and prison of sin as the greatest blessing ever given to man. Let us choose physical imprisonment rather than the imprisonment of sin. Had John chosen to use violence to free himself, he would have released himself from the physical prison only to enter the prison bondage of sin. We need to understand what true imprisonment is. The prison of poverty and hardship may prove a blessing to many and it is not to be so hated that we take ourselves into the prison of sin so we can free ourselves from the chains or physical of, of physical or mental anguish that Satan may bind on us. 
death before this honor to God should be our motto. As John was comforted with the knowledge that the purpose of Christ's ministry was to restore the image of God in man, thereby freeing us from the bondage of sin, let us also be comforted and be content with the same thought. Through Christ, we are free from the chain of envy, lust, bitterness, jealousy, hatred, unkindness, backbiting, evil speaking, covetousness, and every stain of sin. And through Christ, we are imparted with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, firmness, kindness, courage to do right, goodness, self-control, meekness, gentleness, and an indomitable character that cannot be overcome by the most trying temptations of the enemy. We are able to stand every challenge and we have eternal life at last through Jesus Christ and he brings us out of the prison of death and out of the prison of sin and out of the prison of satanic behavior and brings us into the freedom of Christ to live free in the Holy Spirit. Let this be our joy. You may be locked up in a dungeon. You may be in the prison of poverty or in the prison of sickness. Don't let that make you lose faith in God. Don't start to ask about God. Are thou he? Or should we expect another? Don't ask that question. As far as you have been given the freedom from the greatest enemy, sin and death, let us rejoice and be comforted like John the Baptist, either to die or to live, whichever case, we are happy. May the Lord bless us with this message is my prayer. Let us pray. Dear loving Father in heaven, I thank you for giving us this truth today and I pray Lord help us to more clearly understand your mission. Truly many have lost their faith because they misunderstood your mission and I pray Lord that it shall be more clearly revealed to us. Help us Lord to find greater joy in being free from sin than being free from the earthly chains of poverty and sickness and being free from the uh, chains of persecution. I pray Father that you would give us that joy high joy that comes from knowing that we are right with you and help us lord to be ready to suffer for you for whatever reason as far as we do right in jesus name i pray amen
let's begin.